Okay. Well, every once in a while I like to do these uh, courses where we just take a deeper look at uh, a passage of scripture, and, and uh, I thought we would do. Oh, you need more? Yep. Um, I thought we would do Second Timothy this time around. And um, I love Second Timothy too. It is um, of, of Paul's letters. It's probably his most personal. It's um, you know for a lot of reasons that we'll get into. But yeah, um, I want to like my purpose behind these uh, Bible studies is to go. Let's let's dive in a little bit deeper than than just a devotional level. Uh, maybe hit a few points that you that we you know that are that might be hit in a you know a college course or something like that 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 just kind of dives in a little bit deeper and so um, anyway I love this stuff I love Paul's writings and and uh, really looking forward to to getting into it so um, I'm I'm going to record our conversations just because I think there will be some that will want to listen to them later. Um, but let's see here. So, if you want to turn over to... Hey, come on in. Turn on over to Second Timothy. <clears throat> How are you? Hi. How are you? Good. Good to see you. All right. So, we're in Second Timothy. Do you need a... You got one? Okay. Let's open up with a, with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we just thank you so much for your word and for the opportunity to kind of dig into it. And, and uh, God, I pray that through a letter like this that uh, Paul wrote, that you would um, show us a little something, too, and teach us how to live closer to you. God, I pray that these words would just kind of uh, penetrate our hearts and, and, um, and change us the way... That, uh, your word can change it. Uh, we love you, and we just uh, offer ourselves to you right now and ask you to uh, do with us and do with this word what you will. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. There you go. You can take that. So, I feel like you guys left me all one side of everything. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> All right, I'd like to share with you this evening. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind, you can go back with it. All right, so Second Timothy, uh, chapter one. We'll cover we'll cover a chapter each week for the next four weeks, and um, um, and just do that. So uh, let me hit first of all. You see on that page I, I handed out just a couple of kind of uh, background things there at the top. So uh, Paul wrote this. The Apostle Paul wrote this, and. It's, that may seem like a silly thing to say, but actually in, like, if you read, like, modern biblical scholars, everybody's always questioning the author. Maybe they wrote it, maybe they didn't, and you know, that sort of, there's, there's strong evidence to suggest that Paul actually wrote this letter, and, um, I mean, it was widely circulated around the churches uh, by, you know, the end of the first century, so pretty shortly after it was written. Um, so, uh, and then it was written around AD 66 to 67, somewhere around that time frame. That's 67 is when Paul was executed in Rome, and, and he wrote this while he was in prison in Rome. 
Um, and so this is the last this is the last letter of his that we have that he wrote. He may have written more that we just don't have, but but this is the last letter that we have. So it really it's it's most definitely the last letter he wrote to Timothy. And so it's like I said earlier, it's really personal. Really, I mean, you'll see in this in this first chapter his feelings for Timothy are just deep. They're really strong feelings that he really loves this young man, and um, he's trying to encourage him and that sort of thing. And so. So it takes on, uh, he, he includes some personal notes that that would only be kind of relevant to Timothy, you know, uh, probably knowing that it will eventually be read amongst the churches, but still directing it primarily to Timothy. So um, so I, I put there that is written during Paul's second imprisonment in Rome. So he was, he had, in the book of Acts, he's imprisoned in Rome, but it's like a house arrest situation. And then he's, uh, that's basically basically how the book of Acts ends, and then through other evidence, uh, letters and stuff that he wrote, it appears that he was released, uh, and then did another missionary journey, which some people believe was like a fourth missionary journey. So it could be, and and, and nobody really knows. But at the end of the book of Romans, he talks about wanting to go to Spain. Like I'd love to go. He's like I I love to go start church in Spain. And some people believe that that's actually what he did on that fourth missionary journey, that maybe he, maybe he did make it to Spain. Nobody really knows for sure. But somewhere during that last missionary journey, he was arrested again, taken to Rome. And this time it wasn't house arrest. He was in a legitimate, like, dungeon, right? And um, did anybody see that movie a couple years ago? Uh, Paul Apostle, what was it, Apostle of Christ? Is that what it was called? Uh, really, really good. That's, if you have a chance to watch it. Pure Flicks. It probably is. It pro- in fact, I think it's on Netflix too. Yeah, it's um, it's a really good movie about the church in Rome at that period of time when Paul was in prison, and then kind of leading up to him being um, executed. What's it called? I think it's just Paul, oh. Apostle of Christ, is what it's called. Okay. Is it Jim Caviezel? Yeah, he <laughs> plays uh, Luke in that movie, which is really interesting. And so you see Paul, and you see Luke, and you see. Uh, was Aquila and Priscilla, um, and some of those. So anyway, it's a, a really, um, really, really good movie. But anyway, it, it kind of deals with that time frame of what it was like in Rome and what it would have been like in that prison, that sort of thing. So, all right, well, let's dive in. Um, Jamie, actually, Jamie and I, when we were in Rome on the Sunday morning that we were there, we woke up and read this letter together, and then ended up going to the cathedral. The Vatican. That, well, no, no, later on in the day. We went to the Vatican too, but later in the day went to the, this cathedral oh. where, uh, where Paul's remains are supposedly buried. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a really, really powerful experience. But um, it was interesting, though, kind of reading these words, his kind of last words before he dies, and then kind of going to what people think to be his, might be his burial place. Um, but pretty, pretty cool stuff. So, all right. Let's read the first five verses. So I'll go ahead and read those. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ, I'm sorry, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a pretty standard opening for one of Paul's letters. He opens most of his letters in a very similar way. 
So he goes, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. All right, so right off the bat, he kind of jumps into this very personal greeting. And um, um, so he, he writes to, as he writes in Rome, uh, Timothy is in Ephesus, which is a pretty good journey away. And, um, um, and so I, I love that there's that phrase there, recalling your tears, and, uh, you know, as if he's remembering leaving Timothy in Ephesus and the tearful departure that they had and, and, um, and, and just talking about how much he wants to see him and, and uh, have his joy, joy filled back up. Um, so just kind of off the, out of just those five verses there, those first five verses, what, what things does, do those verses teach us about Paul and what things do they teach us about Timothy? Anything, any little detail. Why, the, why was there argument against scholars about who wrote it? That's what I oh. kept thinking. I was like, uh, it, hello. Because there's, it's because really it's kind of like about the time of, for about the last hundred years, um, a lot of scholars have, have kind of started questioning the authorship of everything in the Bible. And, and so, and the ones that question the authorship will generally date those letters later. So they'll say, this was written 200 years later, but it was just attributed to Paul. Um, and they use this, um, th th there's a couple different methods they use for that that are like, um, i trying to remember what's, what's one of them called, the uh, form criticism method. And it's just this way of kind of diving into the words and trying to look for clues that would make you believe uh, that's not authentic, you know, or something like that, or, or, or whatever. Like I said, with with Second Timothy, um, we lit we have early church fathers from around the year ninety to a hundred that are already quoting this book, and so it was circulated around the churches authentically during that time period. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's it's it's just modern thinkers. They just need something to do. They they want to be published. And so they, <laughs> The quickest way to do that is to say something controversial, I guess. So, yeah. So, okay, what kind of details from these first five verses do we pick up about Paul or about Timothy? I think that he, like, he, like really loves them. Like, yeah. you know, like, I love my, like, my son's away at camp, and I yeah. really miss him, and I can't wait to see him, and I, you know, like that. Yeah, like a, you know, like, I love them. Mm. So Timothy was literally his son. No. That's no. Son in the faith, Paul probably led him to the Lord, but no, not not literally Paul's son. Yeah. Their bond words. You know how we talk about the bond of friendship is strong, but when you have a friend who is also a believer, that it's such a stronger bond that you can't know unless you're a believer, and they had that you yeah. know, between them. That yeah. was clearly important for for them. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. The fact that he's sitting in jail and knowing he's going to die and 
Anything else you pick up on in those verses? I I don't know if this is about Paul and Timothy specifically, but I always love this particular scripture and the idea of just this legacy of faith that has come down through their family. You yes. saw it in, in Timothy's grandma and then in his mom and it's it's special to me, no one here is going to care, but my brother, when he was ordained as a pastor, the person who called Jim his little Timothy, that pastor at the time read the scripture and replaced the grandma and mom's name with my grandma, you know what I mean, with my brother. But mm -hmm. just thinking of the legacy that one left to the other, who left to the other, and how beautiful that is. Yeah. Well, in my study Bible, it says that... Um, they had communicated their very strong Christian faith to Timothy, even though his father was probably not a believer. Yes. But hide your light at, don't hide your light at home. Our families are fertile fields for planting gospel seeds. Let your parents, children, spouse, brothers, and sisters know of your faith in Jesus and be sure that they see Christ's love, helpfulness, and joy in you. Mm -hmm. So in... Acts, Luke tells us that um, that when Paul met, or when when T Timothy's first kind of introduced to the scene in Acts, uh, it says specifically that his mom was um, a Jew, a believing Jew, I think is what it says, and then uh, that his dad was a Greek, kind of me meaning that he was an unbeliever, a pagan. And so, so yeah, it, so Paul references the faith that he sees in mom and grandma, but not necessarily in dad here. And, um, um, yeah, so it is interesting. So that next question there, how important is a legacy of faith to you? So, like, when it, in terms of, like, I, if we were to go around, I, you know, I don't know how many of you would say that faith was present in your home when you were a kid versus some of you that may would say, no, faith, faith was not a part of my family experience, you know. <coughs> um, but regardless of what your childhood is like, how important right now is it that you're leaving a, leaving a legacy of faith um, from this point forward? Like, is that like how instrumental do you how important do you think that is? That's the most important thing to mm. me. Yeah. The absolute most important thing because I don't <coughs> want to go to heaven and then find my children not be there. Mm. My yep. grandchildren too. Yeah. And you know. I mean, that's like number one on my list is yeah. I want all of my family there. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I will be at peace up there too if knowing that they are, their, their, their um, faith is strong because yeah. come to think of all the things that's going on around here, it will be tough or I'm hoping that they will have that strong faith to, yeah. to live their lives and not to fall you know, to all those kinds of evil yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't. I mean, when I when I'm talking about a legacy of faith, it doesn't even have to be about um, your family. Just you 
leaving a witness, a legacy of faith, just to the people that knew you. It's uh, it's always awesome when, and you guys have probably experienced the same thing. If you go to somebody's funeral that you maybe didn't know very well, and and then you hear all these stories. People get up, start telling these stories, and you you oh, man, I really wish I, I think I would have liked this person. I really wish I would have known them. That sort of thing. And uh, and sometimes I remember going to a funeral in um, in the at the Bay Hills Church in El Sobrante, uh, a young lady that had died, and. Um, and she was a part of the church, and she was really sweet, but not like super, super active in the church. And um, but at her memorial service, there were just dozens and dozens of people like outside the church, people she knew from work, people that from her neighborhood or whatever that uh, just one after the other got up talking about how she constantly was sharing her faith with them. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just powerful really powerful just to hear all of that. I was just thinking about Don's. There was an older man oh. mm-hmm. who passed from that same church, and this was like just maybe a couple of years ago we went to the funeral. Yeah. And he was an older man and like a deacon in the church. And we knew he loved God, but he kind of kept to himself, was pretty quiet. And all these people start standing that had been in that church for years and they were like, he picked me up on the school bus, on the, you know, the church bus or whatever, this is in the 70s or 80s, you know, but mm-hmm. he picked me up on that bus. And that's why a bratty kid who gave him trouble, who was always a jerk and always, you know, but every Sunday he picked me up and brought me to church. And to this day, she and her husband and their children now know Jesus because of, I'm not to cry, because of what he did. Mm-hmm. And just to think that you leave a legacy like that for, you know, the people who you know and love. Just by being faithful in some small way, and for him it was that school bus, you know, or church bus or whatever. Yeah, I did. Um, it's been a few years ago. I had the, the thought of trying to work out a uh, spiritual family tree, trying to trace, like, the person who led me to the Lord, who led them to the Lord, and who led them to, you know, that sort of oh, thing. That's cool. And uh, I only got back about three or four people, and then the trail trail died off. But um, but it was like the the pastor when I was a young when I was very young, the, my pastor who led me to the Lord um, was led to the Lord by uh, another pastor that I knew who was the grandfather of a uh, a girl that we went to college with, and and it's just it's just interesting to see how all those things like you know maybe you've heard some of those stories before of. Um, you know, some some random unknown person that lived a faithful life, but because of what, because of the life they lived, they led this person to the Lord, who led this person to the Lord, who led a Billy Graham to the Lord, you know, or whatever. And you go, <coughs> these lives that we live, they, um, like, when, at the end of the day, the only legacy we can live, leave is Jesus. I mean, that's, that's it. Um, everything else will be forgotten. Jesus is the only thing that will last the centuries beyond us. Pretty cool. All right. Any other thoughts or questions about those first five verses? All right. So let's read 6 through 14. Um, Would somebody like to read that? I'll read it. Go ahead. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. 
For the Spirit of God gave us, the Spirit that God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Because of anything, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in the Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and was brought, has brought life and immorality, immortality, not immorality, <laughs> sorry about that, right. and immortality to the light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was anointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know my have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching of faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. All right. That's good. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so coming off of verse 5, going into verse 6, we um, actually, uh, verse 4, where he says, recalling your tears and how he longs to see him, and he's reminded of his sincere faith. Um, and then he goes into 6, and so, so for this reason, I'm, I'm, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. So that, that word... Some of your versions might say rekindle. That's probably the better, uh, the better translation. To it's that idea of, of to kind of make that fire strong that once was strong has kind of died down. Take those morning embers and get them going again. You know that sort of thing. And um, and so it's kind of rekindle that flame. And then he goes into um, you know. Uh, he said, you know, that, that flame that once existed because of the gift of God that you have that came through when I laid my hands on you. Um, and then uh, that, that God doesn't give us a spirit to be timid or afraid. Uh, and then don't be ashamed. So he's, he's, he's kind of hitting Timothy from this. It's, it's almost as if he's heard that Timothy's down, you know, like maybe he's not feeling. And it could be because. He's heard Paul's locked up in prison. It, it could be if, uh, any number of things, but it, for, it, I would guess that Paul's heard Timothy's at least low and maybe questioning his calling and all that kind of stuff. And so he's using all this language to go, don't give up. You know, it was obvious what God was doing in you before. It, that can happen again. And, um, you know, just trying to remind him of his calling and to not be afraid and to not be ashamed and all of that kind of stuff. So... Um, so I had that question there. It's quite possible that Paul's uh, trying to build up a weak or discouraged Timothy in these verses. If that's the case, what do you think was uh, Timothy's area of weakness? I mean, what would you guess might be making Timothy feel weak? Him having, you know, not his mentor being there. Mm, yeah. yeah, definitely. Definitely. 
Anybody else? He was at Ephesus. Yeah. So maybe, you know, even things going on in the church that were yeah. discouraging. He's trying to lead them and they're doing their own thing or whatever. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, I said, I, maybe he's thinking, how could this happen to Paul? Why yeah. would God let this happen to Paul? Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah, those are real. I mean, I've, I've had those emotions too, you know. It can it can be really easy to get discouraged at God when people you love are hurting. That's hard. That's hard. Or even a big drastic change too. Mm-hmm. Like that that line where everything you feel is going good, and then all of a sudden that carpet gets pulled. Mm-hmm. And you're like, Where did this come from? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's true. That's true. Yep. So that phrase where he says, fan into the flame the gift of God, which, was, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Um, it's probably, he's probably referring to, like I know a, a church tradition for centuries has been whenever a, a minister is ordained for the ministry, the other ordained men in the room come around and put hands on that, you know, lay hands on that person and pray over them and kind of commission them to their, to their role in the ministry. And Paul's probably referring to something like that when, when, when Timothy was ready to maybe become an elder or a pastor himself, um, some sort of um, prayer and laying on of hands. And, and um, most likely the gifts that he's talking about are, are Timothy's pastoral gifts, you know, his, his ability to lead and to teach and to, you know, those sort of things. Um, so that que- that second question there, what um, or how can we fan into flame God's gifts to us? Like if you if you're at a place in your life where you start to feel not as excited about your faith or as excited about your calling or or whatever, um, what do you do to try to you know rekindle that again? Surround myself with other Christians. What's that? Surround myself with other Christians yeah, and people yeah, who have like-mindedness. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Get into the Word. Yeah. Try to really dig deep and mm-hmm. find out what what God's trying to tell me. Yeah. I don't want anybody else telling me. I yeah. want God telling me what to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I think for me, if I start feeling discouraged, um, it is it is getting around other believers, but it's also getting around like I want to be I want to be around believers that aren't discouraged, aren't discouraged, <laughs> that still that their fire's still big, right? And and let some of that kind of, the other side of that bleed into yeah. me a little bit. Yeah, like I want to I want to be around people who can encourage me. Um, yeah. 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 I think, too, something that is new to me, and I'm not great at it yet, but um, I had read this book from Craig Rochelle called um, Hope in the Darkness when I was, you know, hated the whole world and depressed and all this stuff a while back. And it just spoke a lot about, you know, the truths of the reading God's Word and how our minds just automatically go negative when we're in a bad place and something doesn't go our way or the carpet gets pulled out from under us or whatever. And how it's just typical for us to 
think my, my life's ending, this is terrible, or, you know, whatever, start thinking all the negative thoughts. And um, when Craig had kind of gone through something like that on his own, he had basically written down all these negative things that he had been saying to himself over and over, and then he went to the other side and said, what does God's word actually say about this? And, and made himself go, what does God's word say? And write down, you know, no, you're not stupid, you're made in his image, and you know, whatever it was. And um, so I actually did that. Molly and Miranda and I sat down and we listed all our, you know, you're fat, you're stupid, you're whatever thoughts that we had. And then on the other side went, no, this is what God's word actually says. And, and then try to repeat. He said he literally would like write them on cards, put them on the fridge or the mirror or his cart, and just say it to those, read that scripture proclaiming those things about himself that he knew that were God's promises and how that just helped turn his mind around because... I'm reading a book like that right now. It's by Wendy Blight from Proverbs 31 Ministries, mm -hmm. and her it's called Hidden Joy in Dark Places, mm -hmm. and it's about her. You know, I mean, she was going to college and all this thing, and she was getting married, and all, everything was going good for her, and then she got raped, and then like trying to come out of that. Yeah, she was like just like pissed at God. She didn't know what to do. You know, all her friends were coming around her and, and supporting her, and nobody would let her be alone because, you know, they, mm -hmm. she, she couldn't. She just was, like, frozen in a corner, and she has just so many um, scriptures in the book that you can refer to, and I, that's what I love about it is because you can just look at the scriptures and how God is telling you, you know, you don't have to be afraid because of this or, you know. And sometimes when you're in a really dark place or frustrated with God or whatever, even though you should surround yourself with the encouraging people, you said, like, when I, during that time, I didn't want to. I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to see anybody. You know, I wanted to kind of slip in and out. And because your brain is telling yourself right. all these ridiculous lies or Satan is. And, yeah. So. That's good. That's good. Sometimes it's helpful to to have, like what Timothy has right here, is a, a mentor, a spiritual parent, you know, that can remind you of the things that Paul's reminding him of. I, I've I've found that to be really helpful. I've got um, Jamie and I are friends with um, the college president, the, co the man who was the president at the college that we were at um, together, and and um, he's no longer present he's pastoring a, a church now but he um he's really good about kind of picking up on when i might be down and you know sending me little encouraging notes and it's, it's super helpful super helpful so i try I, I i try to learn from the example of other people the people who've done that to me in my life and you know pass that on to people around me as well like i, I want i want to be that for for other people because a lot of people have been that for me you know that's I've heard I've heard it said you know I've heard a lot of people teach about it. Phil brings it up once in a while, but that idea of you need a Paul in your life, you need a Timothy in your life, you need, you need mm -hmm. somebody who's feeding into you, somebody you're feeding into, and uh, yeah, that's really that's really important. So there at the end of that section, um, this word guard comes up a few different times, uh, where let's see, verse twelve, Paul says. Um, no cause for shame because I shame because I know whom I've believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. 
And then he encourages Timothy in 14 to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you and guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Back in his first letter to Timothy, in, Timoth- in 1 Timothy, he, he, he tells Timothy to guard the truth, guard the gospel. And, and so this is kind of a theme between Paul and Timothy, it seems, this idea of, of, of guarding, guarding that good deposit, guarding the gospel, guarding the truth. Um, so what, I mean, when, when Paul tells Timothy to guard that good deposit, what do you, what do you think he's talking about there? to help uh, guard whatever it is to help Satan out. Okay, yeah. Okay. Guard the gospel. You know, uh, yeah. Because if you let all of that in, then he's going to continue to be discouraged. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Guard your faith. Yeah. Yeah. I think, too, to be careful because... I mean, this was like the beginning of Christianity, and, mm-hmm. and so there was all this other influence and trying to, you know, add to it all the time. And, yeah. And, yeah. And Paul was really big on keeping it simple, you know, very simple. And, yeah. And not let it get distorted. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's good. That's good. I would just thought, I think there's a connection there between, actually between 12 and 14, because Paul says... Um, I'm convinced that he is a God is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. And I think what he means by that is to say, my life's work is not going to be wasted. Like I've, the work I've done, I've entrusted, I've trust that God's going to, that there's going to be a legacy of that, that it's going to carry on beyond me. Right. And then, but, but Paul's legacy is Timothy. Right. And so then he goes to Timothy and he's like, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. So like I deposited into you the gospel, guard that so that it can keep going on. I think there might be a connection, a connection there between those, those verses. Yeah. I was even wondering about kind of a pay it forward concept. Yeah. The more you're doing it, you're ensuring that it continues. Out. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And then those people will pass it on. Yeah. So how, how does Paul tell Timothy that, he'll be able to succeed at guarding that good deposit. He keeps telling him he's not alone. He has the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not only, and I think not only that he's not alone, but I think it's a reminder that he can't do it alone. He has to depend on the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Guard the deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Yeah. 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 That's good. Very, very good. All right. Any other thoughts about that section or questions about that section? There was a lot there. Is it a big church for Timothy Woods? Hmm, that's a good question. Yeah. I know that church lasted for several centuries. So, um, because I, there are some of the early church fathers, three or four hundred years later, that are writing about the church in Ephesus. Um, but most likely, for those first three hundred or so years, while everything was still illegal, they were. Uh, it was probably multiple house churches across the city. Um, but as far as the size, I, I would I don't know what the exact size would be. Yeah. 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 Yeah
Yeah, I was just picturing the following. That, that's all what, what he was trying to you know, tell him. Like, yeah. You know, you got all these people, man. Don't let them down. I'm not saying, you know, we're human, you know. But with that being said, with this, with the church that he was at. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's interesting. It's a good talk. Good deal. All right. Well, let's look at uh, 15 through 18. Somebody want to read those verses? You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including... You got the hard words. Fagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of... Onesiphorus. <laughs> Thank you. Because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in efforts. All right. So, all right. So he says there in the beginning uh, that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. So their, their idea of Asia back then would be what we call Turkey, kind of um, the, I guess more like the Near East than the Far East. Um, and so, um, so he's basically all those, you know, he feels like all of those people who he poured into, who he pastored, helped lead to the Lord that most all of them are, and he might be exaggerating, but most all of them have deserted him at this point in his life. And so um, why, that first question, why would people be deserting Paul right now? Would they be leaving him to feed into others somewhere else? Mm. Or just because he's in prison? Yeah. Be afraid because he's in, you know, they don't want to be put in prison too? Yeah, I think... I think, there's, there's, I think there's definitely some of that. Um, yeah, what was that? Affiliation. Yeah, yeah. So I think a lot of it depended on the people. I think for some people it was fear. I think for some people it's going their own direction and, and kind of... Uh, you see that a lot in the early church where these divisions would start in the church. You know, Paul might have raised up a couple of great teachers and they end up kind of turning on him and starting their own theology and kind of doing their own teaching and whatever. And I mean, that's, that still happens today, you know, but, but then I think there is also, you see in certain places like, uh, was it Corinth? I think it was Corinth where, um, they were very image conscious and the idea that their pastor was in jail was just horrifying to them, you know? And, um, yeah, it was an embarrassment. They were ashamed of him. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's probably a little bit of all those things, actually. You know, he felt just generally abandoned um, by people. And he calls out a couple of them by name. Lucky them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily we can't <laughs> say their names. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's bad when you get, when you, when you, all throughout Christian history, your names are on Paul's hit list. So. Right. <laughs> um, but then he, he, he singles out this guy, Onesiphorus, and... Um, and, and, and just ask that God would bless him and his household, right? And he says, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. 
So the idea of Onesiphorus uh, refreshing Paul would have been, um, I think you, you may have heard me talk about it here on Sunday morning before, but prison was different then than it is now. That there was no system for them to be cared for and fed. They were literally just locked up in a dungeon and guarded and there was no like there was no budget for prisoner food. Like no, if you no, 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 no. If you if you needed food or if you needed money to buy things that you might need, you had to have people come and bring that stuff to you. I mean, you had you needed a prisoner uh, would literally literally rot in a dungeon if they didn't have support on the outside of the on the prison. And so here's this guy Onesphorus who had been with Paul thousand miles away in Ephesus also refreshing him there while he was in prison and evidently this guy must have loved Paul a lot because he follows him to Rome just to take care of him in prison while he's there which is that's, that's a, yeah it's amazing isn't it? it's really amazing um, so just yeah really it must have been God or the Holy Spirit telling him I'm thinking yeah yeah yeah, yeah. go follow this guy help him out he needs you yeah that's right that's right so he says, he has this phrase, and I think he used it, he may have used it earlier, too, where, where he says, um, verse 18, May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. And that phrase, that day, comes up a few times in this letter. So what do you think Paul means when he says that day? That day when Jesus returns? Yeah, yeah return day. of Christ yeah. or judgment. or Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I would agree with that. I think that's... that's probably what he's referring to there, again just kind of there's already this kind of theology of of uh, you know Christ returning and that you know he's going to usher in his kingdom fully and reign and all that kind of stuff and so um, that you know the, those early Christians as they're being persecuted they are looking forward to that day uh, on a regular basis it's it's harder for us to look forward to that day 2,000 years later. You know what I'm saying? It's harder for us to go. I mean, we can look forward to it, but I think we don't live with near the anticipation that they live because, I mean, they, they were, they had people in their churches who were eyewitnesses to the resurrection. You know what I'm saying? I mean, every church, pro- every church probably had one or two people that walked with Christ or saw him after the resurrection or something like that. And, and when you've got Jesus saying, I'm going to come back, and they walked around with that guy, then there's this uh, expectancy of, oh, it's going to happen soon, you know? And um, for us, we, I think we have an awareness that it could happen at any moment. But 2,000 years later, I, I don't know if you're like me, I, I think I probably default to, That's, it probably won't happen in my lifetime. It might be another 2,000 years. Right? <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. It might happen in my lifetime. It might happen in my lifetime, and if it did, that would be, you know, wonderful. But I don't live with near the kind of daily expectancy that I think these guys lived with. Um, I don't know. Maybe do. I'm – do you? Do you? <laughs> I do. Yeah. I pray for it every night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's good. I feel like it has to happen in 2,000 years. It could be another 2,000 You never know. You, don't you never know. know. Yeah. There's no, like, nothing that tells us when. Yeah. Yeah. It just says that there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, but I mean there was wars and rumors of wars back then, but there's yep. there still is. It's just they're happening more frequently to me. I mean, every day I see something in the paper like, you know, this this poor officer that was shot and mm-hmm. I mean everything is just getting 
just so much worse. Like yeah. daily, 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 there's something bad happening. Yeah. So, I wonder to though. Me, that is is like saying, you know, come Lord. Yeah. No, I'm there with you in that. Like looking at the world and going, this has got to end. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, something something needs to this needs to wrap up. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but. What's that? Something has to happen. Yeah, yeah, something's got to change. Um, but do you think, like, do you think that things are so much worse, or do you think it's that we live in the twenty-four hour news cycle where it's just we're bombarded with all the bad things that are happening? I think it's the news cycle. Yeah. I don't know. I don't watch the news. Yeah. <laughs> well, between news and social media, and right? Yeah. Internet, whatever. It's just so in your face all the time. Yeah, I think that it's. I think this has always happened. It's just we know about it more. Right. In fact, there's been like a spike in people needing counseling and stuff for anxiety over death and end of the you know end times or whatever because Mm -hmm. they just see this stuff so much. Yeah. We used to not. I don't watch the news, but I hear from my coworkers constantly. Yeah. I just get excited about it. We don't watch the news. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. We don't always. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to tell you guys, I, you guys know for years I was a huge uh, supporter of, of Facebook. And I don't think it's an evil thing or a bad thing or whatever. But I'm going to tell you, my mental health has improved so much since I've gotten off Facebook. Like, it's just, yeah. like, just to, at least my, my Facebook experience had turned into this just constant chain of, either ridiculous or dumb or bad news just over 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 and over again and so i find it now actually a little bit refreshing when when somebody is like well i suppose you heard about so and so and i'm like no tell me and then i get to have a conversation with somebody and they tell me what was going on but like it's it has been it's been good for my heart it was not i was becoming a grumpy old man i really was i still am (laughs) you fake it pretty good (laughs) yeah my yeah. version of the Bible doesn't use that day. It just What's says, it say? On the day of Christ's return. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Which version yeah. is that? I don't know. <laughs> 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 Do I ask? NIV. Is it NIV? I think NIV. Yeah. New Living Translation. New Living. There you go. Uh, I like that. Yeah, I like that. It's good. You just have to have a little time to read it. But I like it a lot. <laughs> good. All right. Well, that's good. Uh, any other questions about that section? Well, read ahead for next week. We'll, we'll hit chapter two, and, um, and we'll, we'll meet back here. All right? Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Thank you guys for coming out. Um, let's pray. Let's pray. Steve, would you close in prayer? Sure. Father, thank you for uh, this time. We can come together and uh, study your word. Thank you all. Good discussion.